Chapter 32 In the Quest of Guru and God Fasting Disapproved In this chapter, Hemanpat describes two things. One, how Baba met his Guru in the woods and threw him God. And two, how Baba made Mrs. Gokhale, who had made up her mind to fast for three days, eat Poran Polis. Preliminary In the beginning, Hemanpat describes the sansara, that is the visible world, by the allegory of Ashvatha, that is the banyan tree, which has in the physiology of the Gita roots above and branches below. Its branches are spread downward and upwards and are nourished by the gunas, that is qualities, and its sprouts are the objects of the senses. Its roots leading to actions are extended downwards to this world of men. Its form cannot be known in this world, nor its end, its beginning, nor its support. After cutting this Ashwatha tree of strong roots with the sharp weapon of non-attachment, one should seek the path beyond, treading where there is no return. For transversing this path, the help of a good guide, that is a guru, is absolutely necessary. However learned a man may be, or however deep his study of Veda and Vedant, that is sacred literature, may be, he cannot reach his destination safely. If the guide be there to help him and show him the right way, he would avoid the pitfalls and the wild beasts on the journey move aside. Baba's experience in this matter through the story which he gave us himself is really wonderful, which when attended to will give you faith, devotion and salvation. The Quest Once four of us were studying religious scriptures and other books and being thus enlightened, we began to discuss the nature of Brahma. One of us said that we should raise the self with self-efforts and not depend on others. To this the second replied that he who controls his mind is blessed. We should be free from thoughts and ideas and there is nothing in the world without us. The third said that the world that is the phenomenon is always changing. The formless is eternal. So we should discriminate between the unreal and the real. And the fourth, that is Baba himself, urged that bookish knowledge alone is worthless and added, let us be our prescribed duty and surrender our body, mind and five pranas, that is life, to the Guru's feet. Guru is God, all pervading. To get this conviction strong, unbounded faith is necessary. While discussing in this way, we four learn, learned men began to ramble through the woods in quest of God. The three wanted to make the quest with their free and unaided intellect. On the way, a vanjari, that is a man who trades in certain things such as grain etc. by carrying them on bullock cart, met us and asked us, it is hot now, 
where and how far are you going? In the woods, we replied. He inquired, on what quest are you bound? We gave him an ambiguous and evasive reply. On seeing us rambling aimlessly, he was moved and said, without knowing the woods fully, you should not wander at random. If you want to walk through forests and jungles, you should take a guide with you. Why do you exert yourself unnecessarily during this hot noon sun? You may not give out to me your secret of the quest. Still, you can sit down, eat bread, drink water, take some rest and then go. Be always patient at heart. Though he spoke so tenderly, we discarded his request and marched on. We thought that we were self-contained men and needed nobody's help. The woods were vast and trackless. The trees therein grew so close and tall that the sun's rays could not penetrate through them. So we lost our way and wandered here and there for a long time. Ultimately, through sheer good luck, we came back to the same place from where we started. The Manjara met us again and said, by relying on your own cleverness, you missed your way. A guide is always necessary to show us the right way in small or great matters and no quest can be successfully carried out on an empty stomach. Unless God wills it, no one meets us on the way. Do not discard offers of food, served dish should not be thrust away. Offers of sh food should be regarded as auspicious signs of success. On saying this, he again offered us food and asked us to be calm and patient. Again, my companions did not like this unsolicited hospitality and discarded his offer. Without doing any quest and without taking any food, the three began to move out. So obstinate were they. I was hungry and thirsty and I was moved by the Vanjari's extraordinary love. We thought ourselves very learned but were strangers to kindness. The Vanjari was a quiet, illiterate and unqualified fellow and belonged to a low caste. Still, he had love in his heart and asked us to eat the bread. In this way, he who loves others disinterestedly is really enlightened and I thought acceptance of his hospitality was the best beginning of getting knowledge. So very respectfully, I accepted the loaf of bread, offered, ate it and drank it. Water. Then lo, the Guru came and stood before us. What was the dispute about? He asked and I told him everything that had happened. Then he said, would you like to come with me? I will show you what you want. But he alone who believes in what I say will be successful. The others did not agree to what he said and left him. But I bowed to him reverently and accepted his dictum. Then he took me to a well, tied my feet with a rope and hung me head downwards and feet up from a tree near the well. I was suspended three feet above the water which I could not reach with my hands 
or with my mouth. After suspending me in this manner, he went away. No one knew where. After 10 or 12 gatakas, or 4 to 5 hours, he returned and after taking me out quickly, asked me how I fared. In bliss supreme I was. How can a fool like me describe the joy I experienced? I replied, on hearing my answer, the Guru was much pleased with me, drew me near him and stroking my head with his hand, kept me with him. He took care of me as tenderly as a mother bird does of her young ones. He put me into his school. How beautiful it was. There I forgot my parents. All my attachment was snapped and I was liberated easily. I thought that I should embrace him and keep staring at him always. If this image was not fixed in my eyes, I would rather be blind. Such was the school. No one who entered it once could return empty-handed. My Guru became my all in all, my home, mother and father, everything. All my senses left their places and consecrated themselves in my eyes and my sight was centered on him. Thus my Guru was the sole object of my meditation and I was conscious of none else. While meditating on him, my mind and intellect were silent and I had thus to keep quiet and bow to him in silence. There are other schools where you see an altogether different spectacle. The disciples go there to seek knowledge and spend their money, time and labor, but ultimately they don't gain much. The Guru there boasts of his secret knowledge and his straightforwardness. He makes a show of his sacredness and holiness. He speaks a lot and sings his own glory, but his own words do not touch the disciples' heart and they are not convinced. So far as self-realization is concerned, he has not reached that. How can such schools be of any use to the disciples and how can they be benefited? The master, that is the Guru, mentioned above was of different type. By his grace, realization flashed upon me of itself without effort or study. I had nothing to seek. Everything became to me as clear as broad daylight. The Guru alone knows how the inverse suspension with head down and feet up can give happiness. Among the four, one was a Karmkandi, that is ritualistic, who only knew how to observe and abstain from certain rites. The second was Dhyani, who was puffed up with pride of knowledge, and the third was a Bhakta, who surrendered himself completely to God, believing that he was the sole doer. When they were discussing and arguing, the question of God came up, and they depending on their unaided knowledge, went in search of him. Sai, who was discrimination and dispassionate incarnate, was one of the four. On being himself Brahma incarnate, some may ask, why did he mix with them and act foolishly? 
he did this for setting an example to follow. Though an incarnation himself, he respected a low vanjari by accepting his food with the firm belief that food is Brahma and showed him those who rejected vanjari's hospitality offer suffered and how it was impossible to get dhyan without a guru. The Shruti Tantriya Upanishad exhorts us to honor and worship mother, father and preceptor and to study, learn and teach the sacred scriptures. These are the means of purifying our minds and unless this purification is effected, self-realization is not possible. Neither the senses nor the mind and intellect reach the self. Modes of proof such as perception and inference will not help us in the matter. It is the grace of the Guru that counts. The objects of our life such as Dharma, Artha and Kama are attainable with our effort but the fourth object moksha that is liberation can only be had with the help of the guru in the life story of sri sai many personalities appear and play their part astrologers come and give out their predictions princes noblemen ordinary and poor men sannyasis yogis singers and others come for darshan even a mahar comes and makes his salutation says sai is mabap true parents who will go do away with our rounds of births and deaths so many others such as jugglers gondhalis who sing devotional songs the blind and the lame Natpanthis, dancers and other players come and are given suitable reception. The Vanjari also appeared at the right time and played the part assigned to him. Let us now revert to the other story. Fasting and Mrs. Gokhale Baba never fasted himself nor did he allow others to do so. The mind of the person who fasts is never at ease then how could he attain his paramartha or the goal of life? God is not attained on an empty stomach. First the soul has to be appeased. If there be no food in the stomach and nutrition, with what eyes should we see God? With what tongue should we describe his greatness? And with what ears should we hear the same? In short, when all our organs get their proper nutrition and are sound, we can practice devotion and other sadhanas to attain God. Therefore, neither fasting nor overeating is good. Moderation in diet is really wholesome, both to the body and the mind. One Mrs. Gokhale came to Shirdi with an introductory letter from Mrs. Kashibai Kantikar, a devotee of Baba, to Baba Kelkar. She came to Baba with a determination to sit at Baba's feet and observe a three days fast. The previous day, Baba said to Dada Kelkar, 
that he would not allow his children to starve during Shingam, that is, the holy holidays, and that if they had to starve, why was he there? Next day, when the woman went with Dada Kelkar and sat at Baba's feet, Baba at once said to her, Where is the necessity of fasting? Go to Dada Pat's house, prepare the dish of Poranpolis, which is wheat rotis with gram flour and jaggery, Feed his children and yourself too. Shimga holidays were on. Mrs. Kelkar was then going through her menses and there was nobody to cook in Dada Bhatt's house. So Baba's advice was very timely. Then Mrs. Gokhale had to go to Dada Bhatt's house and prepare the dish as directed. She cooked that day, fed others and herself. What a good story and how beautiful its import. Baba's Sarkar Baba gave a story of his boyhood as follows. When I was a youngster, I was in search of bread and went to bead. There I got embroidery work. I worked hard, sparing no pains. The employer was very much pleased with me. Three other boys worked before me. The first got rupees 50, the second rupees 100, and the third rupees 150. And I was given twice the total of this amount, that is 600 rupees. After seeing my cleverness, the employer loved me, praised me, and honored me with a full dress, a turban for the head, and a shela for the body, etc. I kept this dress intact without using it. I thought that what a man might give does not last long and it is always imperfect. But what my sarkar, that is God, gives lasts to the end of time. No other gift from any man can be compared to his. My sarkar says, take, take, but everybody comes to me and says, give, give. Nobody attends carefully to the meaning of what I say. My Sarkar's treasury, that is spiritual wealth, is full, it is overflowing. I say, dig out and take away this wealth in cartloads. The blessed son of a true mother should fill himself with this wealth. The skill of my Fakir, the Leela of my Lord, and the aptitude of my Sarkar is quite unique. What about me? Body, that is earth, will mix with earth breath with air. This time won't come again. No matter where I go or where I sit, Maya always troubles me much. Still, I am always anxious for my men. He who does anything that is spiritual endeavor will reap its fruit and he who remembers these words of mine will get invaluable happiness. Bow to Sri Sai. Peace be to all.